Welcome back to Pitch Side from the Plex, everyone. Good to have you guys back. Um, today's going to be a show where we kind of talk about how sports really get involved in the community. Uh, today we'll be speaking with Bethany Rubin Henderson. She's the CEO of DC Scores and the network president for America Scores. Uh, also with us will be Tom Gross, league administrator for DC Scores. DC Scores was founded by a teacher, Julie Kennedy, at Marie Reed Elementary School in DC. The program quickly expanded throughout the sea, and in 1999, Kennedy began sites in Boston and Chicago, thus creating America Scores. It's now, had, it's now headquarters to 12 programs across the U.S. and Canada, including programs in the Bay Area, Boston, Chicago, Cleveland, Los Angeles, Milwaukee, New York, Portland, St. Louis, Seattle, Vancouver, and Washington, D.C. Bethany Rubin Henson has a varied and distinguished career. She has a bachelor's and master's in political science from the University of Pennsylvania and a law degree from Harvard. She has worked as an attorney nonprofit management. She was a White House fellow during the Obama administration. She founded her own company and she started at the collegiate level. Uh, she took over the helm of DC Scores in 2014 before becoming the network president for America Scores in 2017. Tom Gross is a graduate of Kenyon College and was league administrator for DC Stoddard MSI before joining DC Scores in 2018. Uh, Tom is also one of the board of directors for the Maryland State Youth Soccer Association. Everybody, please welcome Beth Ruben Henderson and Tom Gross. Welcome to the Pitch Side from the Plex podcast, discussing all things youth and amateur sports. We are broadcasting from the Adventist Healthcare Fieldhouse at the Maryland Soccerplex with your hosts, Matt Libber and the one and only Kim Walter. Wow, Patty. McKenzie has been playing really well the past few games. Yeah, we have her working with MBS Performance Counseling to help her with her mental approach to the game, and we are loving her newfound confidence. Really? Counseling? For sports? Not just sports, we are seeing results in her schooling as well. Seriously? Yes, at MBS Performance Counseling, they focus on building optimism, resilience, and grit in each of their clients. Mackenzie is learning the value of self-talk, visualization, and other techniques for pre-game, during-game, and post-game. Wow, that sounds super interesting. I'm going to sign Bentley up today. MBS Performance Counseling specializes in mental and emotional training for adolescent athletes on the field and in the classroom. Through our training, players can be purposeful in their preparation and in their responses to adversity, setbacks, anxiety, fear, and doubt. Nothing has to be wrong to seek performance counseling. In fact, it is very beneficial to develop these skills to go from okay to good and good to great. Pitchside from the Plex listeners can get the online Perform with Purpose course at 40% off using the code SOCCERPLEX. Get your head in the game today with MBS Performance Counseling. Find out more at mbsperformancecounseling.com. So welcome to the show today. Uh, today we have guests from America Scores and DC Scores. We have Bethany Rubin Henderson. Uh, she is the CEO of DC Scores and the network president, I believe I have that right, for America Scores. And we also have Tom Gross, who is the league administrator for DC Scores and also a board member for Maryland State Youth Soccer, so uh, you know, a friend of the Soccerplex. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Um, 
you know, we've been trying to, to get different angles of not just soccer, but talking about community relations and how sports in, impacts the society as a whole. So we thought it was important to get you guys on and kind of talk about how you guys came about, how you, you were founded, and, you know, how you've expanded to 12 cities now um, and, and what that role is and, and what your program looks like and, and kind of how the results of that program have come about since you've been doing this for, you know, well over 20 years now. So you guys have a track record and kind of show how this works. So, you know, first kind of tell us what America scores is and, and DC scores in history and how that started and what the program looks like. Absolutely. So America scores is a youth development organization. Our focus is on how do we help kids achieve their full potential. And we focus on specific communities. We focus on kids growing up in high poverty neighborhoods, primarily inner cities. We've been doing this work for 25 years. We were actually founded by a school teacher in Washington, DC, who noticed that some of her fifth grade students mostly girls, were hanging around the street corners after school in Adams Morgan. And 25 years ago, that was not a neighborhood where that was safe for any child to be hanging around the street corner by themselves. And so she had been a college soccer player and said to them, hey, if you want to come play, learn how to play soccer, you can hang out with me after school. So they started showing up. She taught them how to play soccer. She was a Teach for America Corps member and got a few of her friends at other schools to do the same thing. And they played soccer. And that was great. And then the weather got bad, as it tends to do here. And the kids kept coming. And she realized that the space that she had created for them was a safe space, right? A space where the kids felt that they could be kids, where they would have fun, where they were emotionally safe and physically safe. And so she said, well, you liked one thing I like, soccer, maybe you'll like something else. And she was a poet, that was her art form of choice. And so she started teaching them how to write poetry. Now, I'm not talking about analyzing Walt Whitman. I mean, again, we're talking about 10-year-olds. I'm talking about poetry for self-expression and writing. And very quickly from that, the SCORES model was born. A couple of years later, she added service learning, which is really about empowering kids and giving them agency to change the world around them. And to this day, we now have 11 affiliates across the U.S. and Canada. Uh, we serve 10 to 15,000 children a year across the country, 3,000 every year right here in Washington, D.C. Every child in our program still plays soccer, practices and plays soccer with their soccer team. And with that same soccer team, also writes and performs original poetry. And with that same soccer team, also designs and carries out service projects. So it's a very mind, body, and soul approach. So is the poetry, is that the kind of the core in all the cities or does each city have their own like kind of core program or is it all around poetry? The core program for scores, no matter what city you're in, is soccer crossed with poetry, writing and performance crossed with service projects. And in fact, Matt, since you asked about poetry, we actually do a national poetry slam. And last year, 2020, our national poetry slam series got cut short because COVID. So we were supposed to bring all the kids here to DC, the winners, we had these three regional slams that were gonna perform at the Kennedy Center. That didn't happen. We went virtual and we made a documentary about it. So very soon coming out on Amazon, uh, and streaming free on Amazon Prime. Search for Our Words, Our Cities, and you can follow these kids' journeys. Our Words, Our Cities. We'll uh, make sure we get the link from you guys once that's up, and uh, we'll make sure I put it in the show notes so everybody can get to it. But, you know, that's awesome. I mean, th this is something, that, and you know, as a kid, this has to be, especially you're talking about the Kennedy Center. Like, they may not realize the impact of it when they're a kid, but I'm sure when they're older, like, oh, my God, like, I was at the Kennedy Center, and I got to perform there. I mean, that has to be, you know, something just amazing that, I'd love to see what those kids' faces look like when they actually run stage, you know, doing that poetry slam. Yeah, if only we've been able to get them yeah. into the center. Yeah. Um, the world shut down yeah. the week before. But, you know, we made uh, made lemonade out of the lemons we had, and it was still an incredible experience for all of our young poet athletes, as we call every child in scores. They're a poet athlete. Is that Are you going to try and keep doing the Kennedy Center uh, 
option moving forward or is that something that was a one-time thing that you had the opportunity last year to do? Uh, I don't know. I hope we'll have other opportunities to bring kids to perform in really big stages. At our regional slams, the kids got to perform in really storied spoken word venues in their cities. Um, but we'll see what the future holds. This year in 2021, we're preparing for a fully virtual slam. Got it. So Bethany, you have a very like varied background. So I was digging into it before we started the show. And you know, kind of talk about what your journey has been, how you got here, and why America Scores, DC Scores was so appealing to to jump into. I mean, you have a law degree from Harvard. I mean, not a lot of people can say that. So seeing you doing this, it's like, wow, she must be really passionate about this. And kind of tell that story. Absolutely. So my career has crisscrossed the public, private, and nonprofit sectors. I actually started right out of college working for the city of New York. Uh, ended up going to law school and, and practicing law for a number of years and then launching my own nonprofit focused on local government service corps and how do we get young people working to improve their own communities from within. And it's really about that strengthening communities from within that connects me so tightly to SCORES. I mean, everything we do at SCORES and our model is not that we satellite in outsiders to come coach or teach or mentor our kids. It's that we partner with schools and we partner with teachers and we partner with school administrators and we build teams at those schools. And those schools, um, those teams are in many ways the school team, particularly in elementary school. They sort of fill that function of the high school football team or the college pick your big sport team, right? Depending on the school and become the school leaders. And our model is that the bulk of our coaches across the nation are teachers or school staff by day doing a second shift with us. We pay them for their time with us. We train them not only in our curricula, but in positive youth development and trauma-informed approaches to coaching. We bring in soccer specialists um, to help supplement that for the ones who may not have that soccer expertise. But it's really that model of partnering with schools so that you see in any scores team, the adult that the kid connects with is someone that knows what their life is like right, that experiences every day, that in non-pandemic times, they bump into in the halls in school and they can go, hey, what's going on with your schoolwork? Or they can talk to after school and help them with an, any, you know, any issue that they have because they know what's going on with the school. They know what's going on with their family because they're connected. It's that nexus to me that makes scores so powerful and that keeps me so excited about it and engaged in it. I was actually not a soccer player. I was going to be my next I'm question. <laughs> enough that where I that where I grew up, we didn't really have soccer options. Like I wasn't exposed to soccer as a kid, you know, the way it is now. Um, it didn't exist for me. I grew up basketball player and then competed nationally in ultimate Frisbee in college and after. But the team sport concept is really powerful. It's powerful in my own life. And what I love about soccer and what's that works so well in our program is that it is truly a team sport. Unlike other sports, one person can't carry the team, right? Doesn't matter how great a goalkeeper you are, you got to have someone else who can kick the ball into the goal on the other end, <laughs> right? And so that provides so many opportunities from a youth development standpoint for kids to learn, for kids to lead, for kids to support each other, uh, that it's really, really a powerful tool. I just love that about it. So from the soccer side, I mean, obviously, Tom, this is more your your realm because I, I hope you're not a teacher for anyone. You know, no offense, but <laughs> um, but obviously you come from the soccer backgrounds. Um, you know, you were a league administrator a couple of different places and you came up. Uh, why DC scores? What drew you to that? Well, um, you know, I started off with DC Stoddard and Stoddard. Uh, I started coaching around 90 in the mid 90s and got on the board. And we've always, uh, Stoddard always had a close connection with DC Scores as a funder. And then later on, when, when I uh, worked full time, coordinating on middle school games. 
And I've always really admired DC Scores. Uh, I was, you know, that's pretty close friends with the uh, previous two executive directors at Scores. And when I came back, I, you know, I unfortunately left the DC for a while. And then when I wanted to come back, they were the only organization I really wanted to work for was DC Scores. So I love DC. I love I love their mission. Um, it's a it's a 100% recreational program, and that's what I'm all about. And they get that really well. And the other thing that really attracted me to scores, uh, you know, it's across every ward in the District of Columbia, except for Ward 3. And all the coaches are with 80%, 85% are teachers. And that's something that's really appealing to me. Uh, as you know, Matt, I'm, uh, my big theme is coaching education because I was a coach too. And one of the things that you see with volunteer parent coaches is they really aren't educated in basic pedagogical uh, skills and theories. And this is something that you don't have to worry about a DC scores coach. They have the training, most of them are masters in education. And, uh, you know, as a consequence, it's just a pleasurable, you know, I, I'm mostly, uh, I'm there for the uh, game day experience. So if you go to a scores game day, you'll notice a couple of things. One of them is uh, incredible sportsmanship. And this comes from the coaches. Um, just the spirit of fun. You know, they're letting loose. This is an after school program, remember? So they're, they're there, they're, you know, at least one of the teams is coming out of the school. So it's really a festive, fun environment. And this is reflected in the fact that, you know, in our middle school, we have to hire a lot of professional referees. And as we all know, it's very hard to uh, fill all those referee slots. We don't have that problem because people really enjoy uh, refereeing our games. We get great middle school refs. These are guys who, you know, and women who have ref for years and years and years and they're excellent and they just love doing it. So it's, that's what really uh, attracted me to scores. Yeah, I mean, you touched on something, Tom, that, that obviously we've talked about before is with the volunteer coaches, you know, I, I, they always get put into one of two categories. They're the the true soccer guy that knows the game and, and how to coach the game, but they don't know how to communicate with, a you know, an eight-year-old kid very well. Or right. you have the parent that, you know, they're a parent, they know how to talk with children and, and deal with that, but they don't know anything about the game. And trying to find that that meld, like we struggle with that here with our own programming, trying to find that. And, you know, we're working with Tom now to try and find solutions for that problem. But it sounds like you guys have kind of, found that sweet spot to get those two things together. Um, well, the soccer component is often lacking in some of our coaches. I mean, most of our coaches probably, well, I don't know what the percentage is now. They're not really super soccer savvy. Some of them really, really are, but a lot of them are, you know, old-time DCPS teachers. But that's fine. That's great. They, uh, you know, particularly at the younger ages, you know, just they understand uh, just letting the kids learn from the game. Uh, they, uh, they, they immediately intuit that. And uh, you can always teach them some soccer stuff. You can't retroactively, you know, change somebody's personality. And that's the problem you get, <laughs> in, you know, with the real soccer. Yeah. And... Although the courses help, you know, suddenly there are a lot of, you get a lot of aha moments in a, in a good soccer coach, uh, coaching course, where they suddenly realize, well, you know, maybe if I talk a different way, Maybe yelling at a kid isn't effective. You know, maybe, maybe, um, 
you know, I can bring the game to them at their level, not at my level, that sort of thing. So, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about soccer education, uh, coach education. So how many total kids are in the program, not just within D.C.? Obviously, you want to hear that number, but also across all the other programs across the U.S. and Canada. Yeah, in any given year, we'll typically have between 12 and 15,000 kids in our program. We focus primarily as a network on elementary school, right? So third through fifth grade is what we call our core programs. But many of our cities, DC included, we have juniors programs. So for the kindergarten through two, we have middle school programs. So sixth through eighth grade. And several of our cities also do high school and alumni programming. Because what happens is that once a child joins a scores team, they rarely leave their scores team. It becomes a core part of their identity. And so kids stick with us year after year, which creates all sorts of incredible opportunities opportunities mentoring them, the coaches mentor them, for to peer mentors and leaders in their school buildings and with their classmates, for them to develop their skills, writing and soccer, for them to engage with school. And so as you look at that, we've served over 130,000 kids nationwide, North America-wide, I should say, um, since we were founded. And in DC, we've served over 25,000 kids. Oh, that's incredibly impressive. Very impressive. Um, yeah. I'm sure, obviously, with a program like this, you guys have set some type of metrics to gauge how successful you are. You know, what do those metrics look like? And and would you say you've been extremely successful, or you're you're happy where you are? Or you're trying to get better. I mean, obviously, we're always trying to get better. But where do you find yourself right now? Like, are you happy in this current state? Yeah, I mean, we're always trying to get better. I mean, you think of ourselves as a learning organization. So we're always looking at the data and trying to figure out what it teaches us and what we can do better. Uh, our focus on metrics is really looking at a couple of different things. One is uh, social emotional impact, right? Helping kids with resilience, emotional health, um, engagement with school. But so those indicators of resilience and mental health that really, particularly for the population that we work with are indicative of their ability to stay on track right, our ability to support them. So that's one. And number two, we look at physical fitness. Now that's been much harder to do in the pandemic when our programming has been almost entirely virtual. So we're not measuring that this year, but in a normal year, we measure physical fitness. And in any given year, we see typically uh, three quarters of our kids show measurable physical fitness improvements. Now you go, okay, that sounds pretty good, but let me remind you of two things. One, most of those kids have already been with us for multiple years, right? So we are talking continued improvement year over year, not just kind of it starts and levels off. Number two, kids who are overweight or obese, instead of our program is overweight or obese, A, stick with our program longer than they stick with typical youth sports. Typical youth sports, many of those kids will drop out after a few weeks because it feels uncomfortable, the team, they don't feel like they can keep up. Because our model is so focused on youth development, and teamwork, those kids stick. They don't experience that negative side of sport. And so we show, and even those kids show an even higher percentage of them, excuse me, show market physical fitness gains over the course of any given season or year. The third thing that we look at and we measure is impact on school, uh, on school, right? So grades impact, passing um, standardized tests impact, and school attendance impact, right? And so we're able to measure that uh, to different levels in different cities, but across the board, we show measurable statistical impact on kids' school engagement and on their academic attainment as well. Are you able to, to track them after they graduate out of your program, like where they go on to college or anything like that? Have you guys attempted to try and track that? 
Some of that, I'd say we have more anecdotal data on that uh, than we do um, longitudinal quantitative data. We're actually in the process right now, or we were in the process right before the pandemic of trying to, to launch a more comprehensive approach to that. I mean, it's hard we work with elementary schoolers primarily, right? Because it means that there's lots of intervening factors. And we've got alums at Princeton and Georgetown. We've got alums who are school teachers now and actually coaching the programs that they were students in, you know, 15 years earlier. And then this is not just in DC, right? Um, we've got alums who are playing collegiate soccer. We've got an alum in uh, the Bay Area who was picked up a couple years ago for the U14 women's national team. So definitely we know that it works and we see it over and over from the, the kids, the young adults, the older adults now that are keep coming back to us and saying, hey, scores mattered. We also see that a lot of families we're starting to see multi-generational scores families. So it's not just that a whole set of siblings in one generation goes through, but one of those kids grows up, if they still live in the community and their kids still go to the same schools, they seek out scores for their kids. So uh, you mentioned having a collegiate soccer player in the program, you know, Tom, from a soccer side, you know, we talk a lot of that there are a lot of like on rough gems out there that can't just find somebody to find them because they don't have access to the game. You know, they grow up in very impoverished areas and there's no one sees them. Have you guys have anyone that you're like in the program? You're like, man, we have to get this kid to a, you know, travel program. Like they have the skill set to mature out of this. And, you know, a rec program isn't really the right place for them. Do you have any of those, you know, type of kids that you're looking at? Oh yeah. I mean, there's another program that's affiliated with us called the Open Goal Program who, uh, you know, you know, help kids. I mean, it isn't just whether you can afford travel soccer. It's also, I mean, how do you do it? I mean, there are transportation issues. Um, you, you, the whole travel soccer mess, you all know yeah. about that. And there are a lot of different things. And these, these their families can't really support them. And that's a, a one way we support them. The other thing we have, and uh, he doesn't get mentioned a lot, but we have uh, Keith Tucker working for us. And he was the head coach of Howard University. He was the uh, national coach for Bermuda. And he's at a game, he's at three games a, a week. He sees them all, and he knows where to uh, to uh, route these kids. I, I've known and Coach Tucker for a long I time. Keep, I keep telling, <laughs> I keep telling people in the, in, you know, in the in the in the clubs, you know, we bunch of tournaments. They have, you know, we're probably the only soccer organization that likes to have our kids scouted and recruited. Imagine that. I mean, you know, you can't do that in the Bethesda team, can no. you? But uh, you, know, <laughs> you can come to our, our middle school and uh, you're going to see some great, great soccer players and who do need opportunities. Uh, and uh, there are organizations that can uh, help clubs out for that. Um, but let me, uh, one thing that I want to mention, you know, we're talking about player retention. One of the reasons we also retain players is because of the poetry program. You know, if you're not great at soccer, you can shine at the end poetry. And that's something that really has impressed me over these last two years that I've been watching that, how important the writing and poetry component is. Uh, have you guys con considered doing something where you maybe publish some of the works that the students do? I mean, is that ever a thought? I mean, I'm sure there's some kids that are incredible from that poetry side that you're like, wow, like that, you know, that's an inspiring like message and, and, and writing there. Like, have you ever considered something doing that, that way? So glad you asked, Matt. So a couple of things. One, um, Man, with the America Scores Network, we actually put out an annual poetry magazine okay. uh, each year. And we'll make sure to send you a link to that because it's online. 
So you can actually click through uh, and see the kids' poetry. It's called Kicker. And we have different um, different soccer stars and different spoken word stars will come. Uh, uh, <clears throat> we'll do interviews for it uh, or write to the kids. Uh, a couple years ago, um, Ben Olson from DC United wrote something to the kids uh, that opens up the kicker. Joanna Loman from Washington Spirit has been featured in it as well, along with many other professional soccer players. But Kicker is sort of an annual network-wide magazine. We're actually here in DC, thanks to a grant from the um, DC Humanities, uh, are working on an, a digitized poetry database. So folks can see kids' poetry um, and search it by what geography, search it by topic area, uh, search it by age that kind of thing, and really get a chance to see the kids' poetry. Because, I mean, our kids write forty to 50,000 original poems a year. We do three citywide youth poetry slams uh, every year. So it takes three nights because we have so many children in our program in D.C. Uh, that, take, you know, every city does a citywide youth poetry slam uh, in America Scores for Scores kids. And to put not too fine a point on it, but one of the first things I actually, one of the first experiences I had when I got to Scores was I went out to one of our game days and I was wearing my DC score shirt and I just kind of hanging around the side of the field with the kids and asking them you know, who they like and, and who they are and what's going on. And these two little boys who were, you know, like maybe not even to my shoulder, uh, yay hi. And they're jockeying all over themselves. And they don't know me. I'm just this strange lady with the DC score shirt on, right? And one of them goes, you've got to meet my friend. Let's call him Jose. You got to meet my friend, Jose. He's the best soccer player on our team. He scores all our goals. He's amazing. And meanwhile, Jose is falling all over himself, pushing his friend out of the way and says, you gotta meet my friend, Jordan. He's the best poet on our team. He was the one who won the award of the Poetry Slam last year. So let me pause for a moment. Two 10 year old boys bouncing all over each other to tell a stranger how amazing their best friend is at something that they're not great at is a pretty unique thing. And that to me just encapsulates the power of scores because kids really come together to support each other in so many different forms where each of them can shine in different ways that it creates that incredibly positive connection that that's what sticks with kids for life. Your well-being can't wait. Adventist Healthcare is here to help you get your health and well-being back on track. Make this year your best one yet and take the first step towards better health. Even small steps can make a big difference in your health. Get in extra steps by taking the stairs or parking farther away. Drinking more water and eating one extra fruit and vegetable every day are all easy ways to get started. Don't forget to check in with your primary care doctor and see what preventive checkups you may need this year. Get back to better with Adventist Healthcare. Find your trusted primary care doctor or a location near you at AdventistMedicalGroup.org. So obviously programs like this cost money. And I know one of your big uh, partners in the DC area is DC United. And obviously that makes sense there, but I know you guys have great corporate partnerships that make this program go. Do you want to talk about what program you do with them and how they get involved and you know, what, what that looks like? 
Absolutely. So we are an entirely philanthropically funded organization. We're not a government contractor. We actually, because of the philanthropic ecosystem that we operate in here in DC, we have to re-raise our entire budget from scratch every year. And it cost us a little bit less than $1,000 a child a year to run 36 weeks of programming five days a week. Now, pause for a moment for those of you who, you know, travel soccer and think about that cost compared to what we're able to do uh, for less than $1,000 a year for kid. So we love individual donations. You can donate to us directly at dcscores.org, but we also love partnering with area companies. So DC United, we're their official community partner, as well as the Washington Spirit, we're their official community partner. And if you go to Audi Field, you'll see that the team has reserved a section of the stadium on game days for DC Scores. And Tom and other members of the program team are able to bring kids and bring coaches and bring families for free to get to experience that and be part of what it means to be in the pros, right? And, and our kids actually have the scores, uh, excuse me, the United and Spirit logos on the backs of their jerseys. So they can really feel connected. And there's all sorts of other ways you'll see us integrated with United in the stadium. And pro players come out and work with our kids. So even during the pandemic, they've joined the kids on Zoom um, as guest coaches. They join the kids just for Q and A's to talk about what their life is like. Uh, they speak to them in English and Spanish. About 40% of the kids that we work with have Spanish as a first language. And so ways for the kids to actually interact with their heroes creates a world of potential. So that's a really exciting way that we work with different ways we work with the pro soccer community. With other corporate partners, we have corporate partners in the area, law firms, real estate companies and other banks and others that will adopt a school team and partner with one of our schools. They'll volunteer, they'll send folks out to volunteer with their teams. Um, they'll come cheer them out the poetry slam. We get to share information with them about the kids' progress on their team and they donate to support that. Some of them, uh, depending on size of the donation, actually get their logos on the kids' jerseys as well. So sort of a more traditional adopt the team model. We have all lots of other ways that we partner. We have big events, big fundraising events that companies can get involved with and sponsor. And then we also have a DEI workshop for companies called Brave Spaces modeled on and using some of the poetry lessons we use with our kids to really demonstrate how you can create an inclusive environment. And that is, those workshops are led by our director of creative arts and education, who's a professional spoken word artist. And so it's really exciting ways for companies to engage with the kind of work that we do in a way that's really meaningful without having to pause what they're doing and go to a kid's soccer game at 4 p.m. on a Thursday. Very interesting. Yeah, I know you guys used to have one of your fundraising events out with us until Tom moved it back into D.C., Oh, I did. Uh, we built better fields in DC. How <laughs> that hurts even more. <laughs> and, uh, I'm staying out of that, but scores talk about which is what you're talking about. Gotta, um, uh, yeah, yeah, we love soccer flex. Let's put that. Out. I know, and we and do. I, I would prefer to keep it out there because it's grass fields, but. Uh, you know. So Scores Cup, which y'all are talking about, uh, is our corporate charity soccer tournament. So that's the other another way, uh, once the pandemic is over, is really having companies come in. You get to play for a full day. Uh, we have multiple brackets. If you're at a law firm, you can play in the law firm bracket and beat up on your opponents on the field, <laughs> not just in court. I say this as a former litigator. Um, but we have, you know, corporate charity soccer tournaments where folks can come out and play for the cause too. And just, we try to keep it fun. I mean, our programming works because it's fun and our fundraising events work because they're fun. Do you guys find it's easier to... Let me, to... let me make another plug too. And if you want even more fun, and if you're, a, you're listening to this and you're thinking about ways individually you can help DC scores, if you have a soccer background, our Thursday uh, recreate, uh, middle elementary school games have all volunteer referees. 
And if you want to come out and run around their kids and have a really good time, the great kids, you'll really enjoy it. Uh, please contact me. We'll get you in the mix. Yeah, we'll get. I'll get that. Email, I'll put your email address up so people can get in touch with you as well. So, great. thank you. Um, uh, from a fundraising standpoint, do you find it's easier uh, from the network standpoint to fundraise in DC because it's DC, or do you think each community has its own strengths in that fundraising game? Each community absolutely has its own strengths in that fundraising game. And in fact, the way that we're structured recognizes the fact that every community has lots of idiosyncrasies, not just in the fundraising game, but in the youth sports world, in the after school world, and how school partnerships work. So we actually have independent 501c3s in every community where they do their own local fundraising. And then we're connected, I call it kind of like a hub and spoke, right? We're connected through a national hub entity, which is a separate 501c3. So through that entity, I drive national partnerships. Um, I drive national collaborations. We're doing a national network poetry series, workshop series this spring. Um, so things that hit the whole network will be driven through that. But every individual entity also does its own local fundraising uh, and, and deals with its own local uniqueness. Are you guys still looking to expand the network into more cities? Is that a goal for you guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so if anybody's interested in introducing scores to another city, please contact me, Matt. I'll have you post my America scores email as well. Um, look, scores works and we, it was replicated not because any of my predecessors were like, let's take over the world, but because people who had been involved with scores in DC where it was founded moved to other cities and said, gosh, we need this here. And so it was a very organic replication. It was because when that replication started happening organically that the national network was formed. So ensure consistency of quality, right? Consistency of curricula. The national network owns the curricula. If you drop into a scores program in LA or in Milwaukee or in Boston or DC, it will look, it will feel the same. The kids may not be doing the same exact activity every single day because our curricula actually have more activities than sessions because kids come back every year, coaches come back every year. So we wanna make sure we're, they have enough opportunity to keep it fresh, but it feels the same. You know, you're at a scores program, right? The content, the structure is the same. And so, yes, we want other cities. I'm uh, active conversation with other cities and we'd love to provide scores. Our ultimate goal is to provide scores for every child who needs it and who would benefit from it here in DC and you know across the continent. Yeah, you'll definitely be getting a call from me for my home city of Baltimore. Uh, for several reasons. One, I think it'd be uh, Baltimore and DC are very much similar cities. Uh, I think it would definitely work there. But I also work on the 2026 bid committee for the World Cup. And we're always looking for that legacy piece to, you know, how do we integrate the World Cup into the community? And I think this is a good piece to kind of connect those two. Um, and kind of speaking, that, are you guys working with the DC committee at all to kind of tie the, the program together? I would assume you would be at this point. We are, we are. So actually, I'm on the DC uh, 2026 Advisory Council, but also the committee has made a commitment um, to have DC scores as its community partner for the events that happen here, assuming the World Cup comes here. We're a part of that bid too. So we, we hedge our bets with both. We're, we're in both bids. So, you know, got to play the angles here. So, uh, but definitely, we, I'd love to talk to you about getting that involved in Baltimore because I think they could definitely utilize this program. Um, I mean, they, they need all the help they can get. And I say that as a Baltimore resident. So, uh, Tom, you talked about the referee side of getting involved. What about the coaching side? Can, is there a, a way for coaches to get involved in the program that are maybe looking to give back to to something like this? Yeah, um, that's on a case-by-case -case basis. I mean, most of the slots are going to be filled by teachers. And we sort of want – I think we sort of want to continue to do that, um, particularly in the younger age groups. Uh, we do have uh, – in middle school, we do have some outside people and um, – if you're trained, 
you know, if you have your licenses, particularly if you also have a background in youth development, I'd love to hear from you because we can always, you know, we can always plug you in somewhere, I'm sure. Um, we also try to get, we also try to uh, coordinate with the local clubs and share coaching resources. I mean, some of these, some of these uh, coaches are just fantastic. And we brought them out for, you know, special clinics or scores. Um, so we really, we want to continue to, to, uh, you know, create, give our kids as many resources as they can in terms of quality coaching. So one of the, um, sorry, one of the things you mentioned before, Bethany, that I want to kind of circle back to, and I think it's an important piece of the program is the service learning. Um, talk about, you know, how that works for the kids and, and why you think that's important. I mean, I have my own reasons why I think that's important, but I want to hear, you know, what you have to say. Absolutely. So all of our curricula, soccer, poetry, and service learning are aligned with national standards. And they are, I always kind of, you can't see me on the podcast, but I always kind of hold my hands far apart from each other because they're very thick curricula and they're very detailed and they're set up pedagogically uh, for use by teachers, right? And they're set up with that in mind. And the service learning curricula follows the same format and the same methodology and is aligned with the national standards for service learning for K-12 students. What our service learning curricula does, I describe it as a child-driven adult facilitated. So this is not adult saying, hey kids, you should volunteer in the community and here's some options and then go do it. This is very centered around the kids leading. So the curriculum follows an executive function track of explore, plan, act, reflect. And the kids, first thing we do is have the kids explore their communities. What about your community is bugging you? What do you wanna work on? If you could change something, what do you notice around your community? And we, the way our, our years work, our program year is the fall is poetry and soccer and the spring is soccer and service learning. So oftentimes since it's the same kids by and large, we'll say, okay, what did you write about in the fall? Because their poetry, especially here in DC tends to be pretty intense and in tune with what's happening in the political ethos and the social justice ethos. We say, what did you write about? What do you wanna actually, what do you wanna do about it? Right, you identify this issue. What do you wanna do about it? So they explore what they can do. And it's different for elementary and middle schoolers, obviously, right? They have different levels of capacity in that. They make a plan together as a team. They assign roles, they come up with a plan. They then act and implement their plan. And then there's a reflection component where they then reflect on it. The, a coach facilitates this. Typically, it's the same as the poetry coaches in the fall. We have coaching teams. Our coaching teams aren't just the soccer coaches. Our soccer coaches and our writing coaches work together. So the soccer coaches reinforce for the kids what they're learning and writing and vice versa and about the, the community building aspect of it. And so our service learning projects have run the gamut, right? Some of the littlest kids will do service learning projects, clean up my school's um, field right? Plant a school garden, run a health fair for my school. As they get older, you'll see more intensive projects like down the street, there's a dog park. Or there's a park that nobody ever uses because it's covered with dog feces and no one cleans it up. We are going to go clean up that park and we're going to do a campaign in our neighborhood to make sure that folks know the park is clean and keep it that way. Uh, we're going to do a march to raise awareness through our community about sexual assault and sexual violence and what resources there are. We're going to educate ourselves and then hold a clinic for the parents in our school about what to do if ice knocks at your door. Right. So it sort of runs the gamut in terms of the topic areas, but it's all driven by the kids. The topics are chosen by the kids. The action plans are chosen by the kids and the coaches are there to support them and help them actually carry through these projects. And it creates a really wonderful experience for kids who discover, wait, I may be nine, but I can actually do something that makes a difference in my community that's tangible that I see, 
that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's for any of the that's listening and saying you know, they're worried about the future because they see the kids that you know don't get off their phones and all that. Stories like this, I think, are you know so heartwarming, and you're like, okay, we're going to be fine. Like, you know, these kids are so much smarter than I think we were when we were kids, and you're like, and they're much more in tune to the world. Um, I mean, the, the topics you're talking about, like a nine year old having to talk about what to do when ice knocks on your door, like, I mean, most people have no concept to do that as an adult, more or less a nine-year-old, and think that, you know, these kids came up with that on their own and said, we need to talk about this because it's important. It is mind-blowing, but also very reassuring that, you know, the world's in a good place, regardless of what is going on these days, that in the future looks good. It is. And I got to tell you, when I'm down, I go to our um, YouTube page and just watch the kids' poetry performances. I watch videos of the kids' service learning projects because it is so powerful. And the fact that kids this young can speak so eloquently and to hear their voices unfettered and to see, it's just, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's incredibly inspiring. So I, we can't get around not talking about it because I think we talked about it every podcast so far the effect of COVID on your program, like, you know, how, how did that hit you from the academic standpoint? Cause obviously school's been a mess and you know, what the schools are doing is kind of up in the air every week. And, you know, obviously a soccer standpoint, that's been on hold for a while. We haven't really been able to play a lot of soccer like usual. How have you guys kind of overcome that? Yeah. So COVID has been fun. Uh, you know, it's been very <laughs> that's challenging one word COVID, for it. <laughs> uh, from a, a health standpoint is certainly hitting the communities that we work with hard, the hardest, right? I mean, 90 plus percent of the children we work with are children of color. Right. They live in high poverty communities that have limited access before COVID to grocery stores, right, that are already economically disadvantaged. And so that's COVID has just exacerbated that. And so early in COVID, a huge uh, part of our efforts here in D.C. and across the network were how do we make sure that we support our kids in whatever they need? Right. So partly that is that's been connecting kids to resources, providing grocery gift cards, connecting them to, you know, medical resources, that kind of thing. And a large part of that, because that's not our expertise, right? That's not our primary reason to educate, is how do we keep kids feeling safe, supported, connected, and hopeful? And that's been our mantra. So we said, all right, we can't run soccer leagues. Tom's scratching his head going, what am I supposed to do? I literally can't run a league, right? There's no league to be had. Um, we can't run soccer leagues the way that we normally do. Across the country, every city is different in what, what's reopening, what's not open, whether kids can play soccer outdoors or not, whether people can be physically, you know, what the distances or not, what kind of lockdown. So safe, supported, connected, and hopeful have been our guiding stars. We have worked on that by trying to help kids feel that they still belong to something that matters. So live virtual workshops asynchronous virtual workshops, working with schools and kids and teams to make sure kids have the technology because the kids we work with often are on the wrong side of the digital divide, right? It's been really exacerbated by this. They have a hard enough time connecting to school, let alone to after school. So partnering with schools to be in the school platforms wherever possible so the kids don't have to figure out Zoom. They can just go in, it's right in their Microsoft Teams or whatever their school platform is. And that's different in every city and, and frankly from school to school in a lot of cities between charters and public systems sending kids home kits. So one of the things Tom has done is he has switched from organizing leagues to organizing kits. And he spends hours at the post office every week as we ship kits to kids. And the kits have everything they need to participate in a virtual season from home, a soccer ball, cones, uh, pumps, jersey, bag, water bottle, masks, uh, hand sanitizer, writing notebook. I'm sure I'm missing things, Tom. But you know, it's about how do we make sure at the beginning of every season, every kid that signs up, whether they ever log into a session or not, 
has that equipment because then that tells them, hey, you know, we care, right? Like we want you to know that we are still here, that you are still part of our team, whether we see you or not. Uh, and so figuring out ways to connect with kids like that, figuring out ways to support our coaches, right? Our coaches can't be out running soccer practices. They can do some virtual soccer practices and they do, but they can call the families and check in on them every couple of weeks, right? And see what they need. So continuing to pay our coaches to do things like that so that we, our coaches don't, um, don't lose out on income, right? So that our kids maintain those connections, the families maintain those connections, putting everything online in multiple languages. So we had already had this in the works in DC, it expedited having all of our family focused communication done in both English and Spanish and having all of our online resources and entire online uh, curriculum, online portals. I mean, you can go and do the 10, you can do 10 scores at home lessons right now, workshops with your kids asynchronously if you want to, uh, the soccer workshops. Uh, making sure that's all in English and Spanish, and then bringing in the pros, bringing in big name folks, celebrities who kids would never get to interact with in a normal world, who would be really hard if we had to somehow figure out, because we bus every kid around town in DC. We're like an events transportation logistics agency on the back end. I mean, a huge part of Tom's job is coordinating busloads of children every week. And that's a lot, right? We can't bus hundreds of kids around every you know, week to go meet with a celebrity. But you know what I can do is I can give them a link and they can click through their school site and they can sit here and they can talk to Bill Hamid, just like I'm talking to you right now. And so creating opportunities for kids to do that as well. Tom. And the other thing about that, Matt, is that uh, you know, keeping the kids connected means that when we do come back, we can come back strong and keep you connected with our coaches. I mean, um, I remember I go all the way back to the uh, sniper. I don't know if you remember. That. I do. But a lot of clubs lost, you know, 30, 40% of their membership. And that's where we're trying to keep, if we can stay connected, I don't think we're going to um, have a similar experience. Yeah. And I think you, I don't know if you looked at the results from the survey from D, uh, the DMV United thing we started a little ways back, but it, it was, I was surprised because it's, in this area, it was the opposite of what everyone's projecting that they're saying kids are going to leave club sports a little more and go back to recreation. But in this area, we actually have seen the opposite so far. The club sports around here have stayed strong. The recreational programs have actually declined. Um, I know MS yeah, MSI has shed MSI has shed the teams. We've shed teams in the SAM program. Um, but it seems in other areas of the country, the recreational programs are actually growing and kids are leaving club sports, which in this area is just not happening. So it's we're, I think we're kind of out of the norm here. And I don't, I don't have a reason why, but it's, it's alarming to me because we also run a recreational program and you know, that that's something that we're trying to figure out how to stay connected. And um, we don't have a school system to rely on that, that we can communicate through. So it's, it's a little harder for us out here. It's, it's a huge socioeconomic issue, right? So if you look right at, in the DMV proper, uh, DC is not allowing any in-person activities on school property. And we, as the biggest direct soccer program, operate almost entirely on school property in normal times. So we don't even have fields. So we have families that want to play, but there's no fields for them to play on. DPR has had some limited, very limited access, and then we've been talking to them, but there's just the field accessibility. In the pay-to-play community uh, around here, that's different, right? And the parents who can afford to pay, who can afford to provide the PPE, who can afford to transport their kids, right? Again, our, our parents, by and large, don't transport their kids to and from their soccer uh, workshops and practice from scores because we do it in the schools. You remove all the barriers to access. So it doesn't matter if the family can transport the kid. It doesn't matter if the family can feed the kid dinner. It doesn't matter if the family can buy the kid equipment. We provide everything. 
we kid out every child's shoulder to shins. So the families who can afford to do all of that can, you know, that's where we see in this area, in this region, those are continuing to play and they're continuing to play outside of DC on private fields. And rec programs like ours are very limited in what we can do because there are external constraints that those other programs don't have. That's a pretty fair assessment. Um, what do you guys see going forward? Like, obviously, COVID is going to end at some point. I mean, do you see expanding the program? Do you see having to, to modify the whole thing just to fit the new norm? We don't know what that new norm is going to look like. You know, what are you forecasting for? So, yes, and. You know, we've learned a lot of things during the pandemic and having to be in a largely virtual programming space. And some of those we're going to, some of the programming that we have done virtually, we will continue, right? There's some really, there's beauty of being able to connect with kids where they are. And not every kid, even after the pandemic, is going to be able to return to their team because they're going to have to be home taking care of siblings. They're going to have to be, if they're older, perhaps working uh, or returning to work to help the family recover from the economic impact of the pandemic. And we've learned and discovered through this virtual world how to connect with those kids when we can't see them in person every day. So I fully expect we'll continue some of that. And yes, our plan before the pandemic was and after the pandemic will be to grow. We estimate there's about 5,000 kids total in DC proper that would really benefit from our programming. We're serving right before the pandemic, we'd reach just over 3,000. We'd surpass that 3,000 a year mark. And we're looking to grow to serve 5,000 kids a year. Are you potentially DC. looking to go outside the DC border? Like obviously Montgomery County, some of the areas that, that touch right, like Tacoma Park and places like that have some of the same demographics, the same issues. Obviously Prince George's County has the same issues. I mean, have you thought about just going, you know, forget the border, we're gonna go into the county? Absolutely. So with my America Scores hat, that is actually part of the things that we've been looking at uh, and are there regional satellites. So part of what makes our program work is geographic um, contiguity. Right for soccer leagues, and, and Tom can attest to what a pain this is when you're busing kids around town at rush hour. For soccer leagues, you need to not have, you know, 40 miles to drive. That doesn't work, right? We don't play on weekends again in DC because we want to be we want to remove those barriers to access. Once the kid leaves school, we may not be able to capture them back. Our tournaments are on weekends, but our weekly soccer games are not. So yeah, absolutely. Would love to expand into the broader area and particularly with clusters of schools that are geographically co-located with each other and create their own, you know, Prince George's scores or Northern Virginia scores, right? Uh, Fairfax and Reston is also another cluster where you have uh, similar populations. So there are opportunities. And like I said, you know, from an America score standpoint, we'd love to serve every child who needs us around the country, around the continent. From a DC score standpoint, every child who needs us in DC. Tom, if you're this good at logistics, no, we're think about it. I'm sorry. Um, you know, we um, we're an after school program, and there's really a limited amount of distance you can travel for a game in an after school, particularly in DC. We're going so going five five feet in traffic. <laughs> well, that is the only benefit of the pandemic, as far as I'm concerned, is the ease of getting around. But but um, it's going to be nightmarish when we come back. That in that respect. Well, if you're this good at logistics, as Bethany says, we need to put you on vaccine distribution because that doesn't seem to be going no, great right. right now. So I'll be out there at Soccerplex. <laughs> hey, we are we are more than happy to do our part. Um, yeah, yeah. We, we we were a testing site. We've inquired about being a vaccination site. We held Red Cross blood drives. Like we're we want to get through this as fast as possible and and understand that doing our part is you know part of that process. That if we aren't helping the community, then we're not doing ourselves any benefit either. So, you know, we, we are all for that. 
So I think we kept you long enough. Um, I mean, obviously it was great having you and this is a great information. I have so many notes here that I need to make information on the, the, the show notes so people can link to and get in touch with you guys because you guys are doing great work and I would love to see you expand and, and we would love to help you to do that. So uh, thanks for coming on and uh, any last words for information you want to pass on before we go? Tom, you want to go first? I want you to go first. <laughs> Well, one, thank you for having us. It's been a real pleasure. Two, the other um, movie we didn't talk about, we've been uh, documenting our work recently, is Soccer in the City, which is a film that we were involved with making that really is about the intersection of soccer and America's inner cities. And it's also streaming on Amazon. And so we'll send you the link for that as well. But that's a great way to understand the context in which America Scores operates and what makes it different and why historically the reasons why uh, we've ended up with this very divided soccer community in this country in a way that doesn't exist in other countries. So I certainly would encourage folks to check that out to get a better grasp of the soccer side of our program. I hope you'll watch our poetry documentary. I hope you'll check out our programming online. I hope you'll come out and see us uh, when the world resumes and normal. We'd love to have you at our soccer games and our poetry slams. And I hope you'll reach out if you're interested in getting involved as a coach, as a referee, as a volunteer, as a donor, as a corporate partner. You know, I've got a 15 person team. It's pretty small when you think that we serve 3000 kids every single day, day in and day out. We run citywide youth soccer tournaments that have a thousand plus children at them, citywide youth poetry slams. We can't do this without your help. And so I, I hope and look forward to seeing many of you in our programming and helping you get involved with supporting these amazing children. Yeah, and I'd like to say, uh, if you'd like me to show off the program, get in touch with me. I'd love to take you to a game, show you what we do. And uh, thank you, Matt, for uh, helping us get out our story. Yeah, that's that's what we're trying to do with this. And thank you so much. yeah, this is one of our creations out of COVID. We were bored and we're like, well, what can we do? And, <laughs> you know, I like talking. So this was a good, good solution. So, you know, thanks for coming on. And I'm sure we'll talk to you with again and, and bring you back. And, you know, once we get out of this and talk about the 10 new cities you guys are in and, you know, all the new kids that you guys are, are working with. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Matt. All right, thanks for thank you guys. Talk to you later. Pitchside from the Plex podcast is supported by the Soccer Association of Montgomery. Sam Soccer provides developmental and educational soccer programs in Montgomery County, Maryland. Sam offers classes, clinics and leagues for children 2 to 18. Every game is a home game at Sam Soccer. All programs are played at the prestigious Maryland Soccerplex. Check out our website, samsoccer.org, for more information. So everyone, I hope you guys had uh, some good insight into America Scores and DC Scores and, and how that program works. Uh, normally, you'd have me and Kim kind of talking through this episode and, and what we learned and what our takeaways were and you know, questions, concerns. Unfortunately, Kim uh, wasn't available for uh, for this podcast, so it's just me. Um, but there are things that I want to highlight. You know, I think it's fantastic the the program they're doing. I, also love the fact that it's kind of the opposite that you see a lot of programs uh, in the similar vein take and you know most sports related you know I guess philanthropy type uh, aspects that you know, that 
America's Sports falls under typically come at it from a sports perspective first and academics or, or whatever their their goal end goal is as the secondary and I think this program kind of is the opposite it started from an academic model and and turned into a sports model um, you know and uh, these kids uh, the guy got a chance to watch uh, a early release of one of their documentaries uh, last week and you know, these kids are incredible. Um, <laughs> the stuff they're able to do and, and from a, a poetry standpoint and a writing standpoint is, you know, blows my mind. It, you, if you didn't see the visual of the age of the kid or hear their voice, you'd never believe this was written by, you know, a nine-year-old or 11-year-old or 12-year-old. It's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, obviously, Bethany threw a ton of stuff at us and just kind of want to talk through some of it and make sure everybody kind of gets highlights. And we'll put all of this into the story notes as well. Um, but the, there will be a link to the digital version of kicker, which is their annual poetry magazine. Um, take a look at this and and take a look at what these kids are doing. And again, it's just incredible. The amount of talent that these kids have from a writing and poetry standpoint, it's just amazes me. Um, you know, this is something I I think if you have kids, you should share it with them and, and just show them what, what's available to them. And, and they may not be a great poet, but, you know, talk about how it, these kids took advantage of a program to, you know, find skills that they had that didn't didn't necessarily know they had, and, and it turned into this. And you know, the same may be true for your your kid as well. Um, the documentary I did get to see the Our Words Our City documentary uh, will be coming out on Amazon in late February. Highly recommend it. Um, you know, it's, again, can't say enough about it, and you you'll get to be able to to see the work that they're doing. Um, in the various cities and see what these kids are doing and how the program works in reality. And, you know, as well as they described it on, on this podcast, I, I don't think you can fully appreciate it until you, you watch this video or you go and see it in person. Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a more than what you would expect. Um, they also have a soccer in the cities documentary and we'll put up a link for that. Um, check out, uh, I think most of the cities have one, but I know DC definitely does. DC scores has a YouTube channel. Um, and they have different things up there. And there's a five minute video titled a poet athlete and his coach. Um, I think that's a good insight into how the program works and, and kind of give you that, that taste of what it's like in real life. Uh, there's hundreds of hours of content on there. Um, the channel also has a video from the 2020 celebrity guest speaker series. They have several U.S. men's and women's national team stars, um, so to go make sure you check that out. Um, and it also has things on there about how the pandemic impacted DC scores and, and the kids themselves and how they had to modify the program. And I think it's anyone that's running a program uh, this day and age that's lived through this pandemic has had to pivot in some ways and, and change how they're doing things. And I, I think this this video the that talks about how they've changed their model and how they've had to do things uh, it's, it's great information for anyone that's trying to run a program, whether it's a philanthropy program like this or just the club that you run. So make sure you check that out. Um, if you are interested in volunteering, um, just go to DC Scores or America Scores website. We'll have links up for both, and there's a volunteer section there. And I'll talk about how you can get involved. Um, there's also various fundraising activities. Um, I know the specific ones for DC is the One Night, One Goal. It's an annual gala held at Audi Field, the home of DC United. Um, and it's a charity auction, dinner, and things like that. Um, we also used to host this for them, but they've since moved it back into D.C. as the Scores Cup. And this is where their corporate partners get involved. Um, I know the uh, the law firm side of the tournament gets very heated. Uh, you know, the, their, their lawyers are very competitive. Um, Want to beat you in the courtroom and on the soccer field. So, uh, But it's all for a good cause. So if you are interested in that, we'll have uh, 
information up there as well. Um, and then one thing we didn't really touch too much on during the podcast, but it's something I, I know they have worked on. Uh, they have a 90 minute virtual diversity, equity, and inclusion workshop called Brave Spaces. Uh, we'll have a link up and information for that as well. Um, obviously, that's a, a huge topic of, of the times right now. And it's something that I think if you take a look at what they're doing, it, it could help give ideas for your your program and in your organization to to better uh, improve your, your diversity and equity and inclusion uh, across your organization. So I'm glad uh, Bethany came in and, you know, it was a great conversation and learned a lot. Um, she does, she's a talker and it was hard to get words in otherwise. And, um, but I think they're doing great things. And, and, you know, I've, I said it during the podcast early on, I, I think it speaks to her dedication that, you know, she's a very, you know, qualified and, and accredited person that's done, you know, all kinds of things, whether it's working at the white house or, you know, being a lawyer in, in the courtroom, um, that the fact that she has decided to, you know, take on this endeavor, uh, just shows the passion she has for it and, and how much it means to her. And, you know, seeing this, this organization up front and personal, you can see it across the entire organization that, you know, they care about what they do and, and they do it cause they love it and they care about the kids and it's definitely for the right reason. So, uh, again, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, stay tuned for the latest episode of your health goals with Venice healthcare and we'll see you next time. for Your Health Goals, brought to you by Adventist Healthcare, the premier health system serving your community's needs across the continuum of care. Hi, I'm Dr. Trey Godwin, a board-certified physician in physical medicine and rehabilitation, as well as sports medicine with Adventist Healthcare Rehabilitation. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way we eat and shop for food, as well as renewed our interest in staying healthy. This year, Make it a goal to eat healthier foods and practice good eating habits. The easiest way to stick to a goal of eating healthier is to make small modifications to your food choices along the way. Here are some easy tips to help you achieve your healthy eating goals. Make sure to eat breakfast in the mornings. The mornings are often rushed, but you must make time to fuel your body in order to do your best work each day. Make sure your breakfast contains proteins and whole grains to keep you full and satisfied until lunchtime. It's also a good time to get your required fruit serving. Quick, easy options for breakfast include overnight oats, make-ahead smoothies, egg muffins, and egg breakfast sandwiches. The next tip is to plan and prepare your meals. We all know it's easy and sometimes faster to grab your meals through a drive-thru for lunch or after a long day at work. Not only is this option more expensive, but the amount of sodium and fat in fast foods can negatively impact your health. Try dedicating a few hours, one day a week, to prepare your meals and snacks for the upcoming week. By planning your meals out ahead of time, it will save you time and give you control over what you put into your body. Keep a food journal to help you become aware of how much and when you're eating throughout the day. If you know you have to write something down, you're more likely to pause before eating it, especially if it's a snack that you would typically eat out of boredom. There are free apps on your phone that can help you track your food and your calories. Rethink your dessert choices. If you're craving something sweet after dinner, you're certainly not alone. 
However, if you get into the routine of eating a brownie and a bowl of ice cream every night, it could become second nature to indulge in what you may have previously considered a treat. For a modified dessert, try incorporating healthier ingredients, such as a bowl of strawberries with whipped cream. Practice portion control. Often people feel the need to eat everything on their plate, even after they feel full. Try these tips. Select a smaller plate. Eat the vegetables and greens before moving on to the rest of your meal. Finally, take time to learn the correct serving sizes. Pay attention to when you start to feel full and stop when you do. Make healthy modifications to develop a realistic approach to eating better and these steps will help you achieve your health goals in 2021. Remember, start small and focus on one change at a time. <laughs>